Welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose, and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. Welcome to People With Purpose. Today I'm joined by Phil Dolman, who's a a former Welsh rugby union player, uh, uh, most notable for his um, experience as an Exeter chief. Um, So um, in the UK, Exeter is in the southwest of England and Exeter have been one of the top teams in, um, in, in English rugby for about a decade. And that coincided with Phil joining the Chiefs in 2009. So, um, so welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you and uh, and to hear your lovely dulcet tones. So you're 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 a Welshman, proud Welshman, <clears throat> proud Welshman. Um, yeah, we've we've uh, got a proud Welsh family, and um, you know we go back a few generations in Wales, and we're getting a little bit more English by the day. The longer we've lived in uh, Exeter and Devon, but um, you know we get back to Wales enough, and we we really like to keep our roots. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and because you, your rugby career started in Wales, right? Yeah. Yeah, at the age of five, I think it was. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in Wales, rugby's kind of, or when I was young, rugby was the first thing that uh, you get pushed towards. And, and I think I loved it from day one. Yeah. Uh, well, according to my parents, it looked like I loved it from day one. Okay, okay. And uh, whereabouts in Wales? So, Caerphilly is my hometown. Um, and that's where my family is kind of based in and around the villages of Caerphilly. And so Caerphilly is quite a fairly sizable town. And then you've got Abertridu and um, Bedwas, which is kind of the villages that I integrated into. We lived in, I played rugby for Bedwas, Caerphilly, um, and the family from Abertridu. So um, yeah, that's that's where we were. And kind of, we were up there on the weekend up in Wales and mm. you drive up, the Ronda Cannon Taff Road in the A470 and it just the the years I spent there and it's completely different to what the girls are used to they're spending time in Devon and it's a bit of a strange feeling when uh, all of my childhood was brought up there and a lot of our family is still there mm. um, but they're you know removed from that in, in some way yeah 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 it's a beautiful part of the world I, the company uh I work for. We got a sister company that's based in Caerphilly, and um, yeah. so so getting um, getting up into the hills around there and all that kind of stuff. It's a it's a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it is. And you know, we can get to West Wales fairly easy. Brecon Beacons, or as it's now called, um, it's called something else now, isn't it? I think. Yeah, well, the Breckens and they've got the Black Mountains. Yeah, and-, and you know, there's some. It is a beautiful country, and we like to go back, but. Uh, you know, it's few and far between at the moment and with, with work and we're very busy with the family down here, but, um, it's, oh, it's always wet. It's always wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the amount of time. So in my, when we first moved down, we used to go back to Wales regularly, you yeah. know, every other weekend, really, yeah. or as, soon, as much as we could. Every time you cross the, uh, Prince of Wales bridge, it was rain, yeah, 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 <laughs> cloudy yeah. and rainy. That's it. That's it. Can't be a bit of clag. No, yeah, exactly. So when you moved to um, Devon then in 2009, was that a was that a big pull, a big decision for you? It was a big decision. I, yeah, looking back at it, it was a big decision, but I think I was quite naive to the fact that what we were actually doing and what I was actually doing and think um, kind of starting a career in in the southwest. I, I know it's not a huge move. It's not like we're moving across the, the, the world, but... Um, we were young. I think I was 24, Laura was 25 and we were leaving all the family behind really. So, um, it was a big decision. We were still very connected and we were still, you know, we went back to Wales. It's not a long trip. So we were back regularly. So it didn't feel that way. And we were well supported by the family. So they were down, they, they obviously like their rugby. So they would come down and watch as much as possible. So we always had family around us, especially when the, when we started the family down here as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what was it? Um, what was it? What was it like making that kind of a move for a sport as well? Because I know there's a lot of passion around rugby and a lot of heritage yeah. around rugby in Wales, but it's still there's still a lot of people who would look at your career and being an elite sports 
person, right? And would say, Oh, I wish I could have, I wish I could have done that, but I never had the guts to follow it through, you know. I mean, what mm. did, it, did it take a bit of courage to, to make that decision? It a little bit of courage, but a little bit of desperation, really, because I I wasn't being renewed a contract in in Wales and and there wasn't um a great deal of opportunity for me there. I hadn't really had a grad. I think I actually did okay at the Dragons when I was a, a young player there, young coming through. Um but it wasn't it there just wasn't those opportunities for me there. Um there was a couple of kind of semi-professional opportunities there, but I thought I was confident enough in myself that I could maintain a professional career in rugby and, and push on. Um, but at the time, certainly from my point of view, moving to England wasn't really a done thing. And it's probably a little bit more of a done thing now. Um, so it feels like a bit of a strange move at the time, whereas you're seeing a lot of it at the moment. Um, and, well, you know, it, it, it couldn't have gone any better, really. So we were happy to move, yeah. we, you know, and looking back at it, it was a great move. Yeah, yeah. Because moving to the Chiefs at that time, there had been a number of years where the, the extra Chiefs had been knocking on the door of, mm. of going from the championship, which is like the second tier of, of English rugby to the premiership. Yeah. Uh, but not, but not quite making it. Um, and they were still a championship side when you joined them. So what was it about extra Chiefs that made you think, apart from the desperation from your own point of view, wanting a career in rugby, was there anything specific about the Chiefs that wanted, made you want to pursue that path? Um, the major thing was Rob, really, just meeting Rob. Uh, I knew I knew nothing about Exeter. I didn't know anything about Exeter as a city or Exeter as a, as a rugby club at all, really, because you know we didn't watch English rugby, even though it was a big, big part of European rugby, the Premiership at the time. We didn't watch it. I watched the Welsh League and the Celtic League as it was at the time, and I only the only person I knew down here was Matt Jess, who had briefly come across when I was at the Dragons. He had a spell there. So I didn't, there was no connection. There was no further insight until the day I, I, I spoke to Rob over the phone. I sent him a DVD and he kind of had a look at my clip until I came down and met Rob really. And he kind of, I don't know, in a simple kind of way, just locked me in and, mm. and, and made me feel like Exa was a place that was pushing forward and was reaching to be in the top tier of rugby and, and, and further than that. And I think just that brief, that brief encounter with Sandy Park and the surrounding area really kind of hit home that this is a, this is a place that wants to go places. And, and it's more than just a, a champions championship side that is, that has had a few narrow misses. Mm. Um, that was all I knew really that they'd missed out on promotion two or three years running. Yeah. 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 And so Rob, the Rob you're talking about is Rob, Rob Baxter. Yeah. Cause, cause you were his first signing, weren't you? Yeah, apparently, yeah. So I think I was one of his, I think my DVD, luckily, was still on the desk from when Pete Drew was. So I think my agent must have sent it down for Pete Drew to look at. Mm. And as I, as I know it, I think Pete was moved on and Rob took over over the weekend. And then it happened to be still on the desk on Monday morning, luckily, mm, mm, mm. hopefully top of the pile and, and Rob picked it up and had a look and must have liked what he saw. There you go. And what was it, 280 odd appearances or maybe 250 odd appearances? Yeah, I think later? so. About 250, I think. Okay. And 100 and what, 30 odd points? When, is that, that well, that's not bad, actually. That's probably more than I thought. Is, is it? So about that, I've been trying to do yeah. my research. I don't like to go too into the detail, but. Um, yeah. I'm not a big, I wasn't a big point scorer, but. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd like to think I contribute in other ways, but um, well, you were a long way from the try line, weren't you? Fullback, yeah, it's a long way to go. <laughs> long way to Especially run, especially when you're not the, the fastest on the pitch. Oh, but, you, you had a turn of pace, didn't you? Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, it it was. I was I was I was very lucky. I think you need to be very lucky in in professional sport and in I suppose in anything that you're going to be successful in. Yeah. Um, that move could have could have gone. A number of ways, really, and and I was close to signing for London Welsh in that same year. Yeah, which you know, when you look at the the fate of London Welsh at this at this time, that's that would have been 
a difficult move and and Exeter was one of those that the timing of my move into Exeter Rob was building a squad um it, it just it worked nicely and I kind of got got brought along with the with the wave yeah yeah so there must have been something about Rob Baxter then that attracted you to to his um ethos and and style I mean what what was it that is there anything specific that you saw in him and his style of well, uh, probably not from first impressions, but I think looking back, you know, Rob's a fairly simple guy. And, and, and on, our, on our initial meeting, there was no, you know, there was no fluffiness to the chat. There was no kind of, I don't know, he wasn't trying to spin me a, you know, spin me a tail. He was kind of saying it as it is, saying it as he sees it. And that was just, you know, I can buy into that. I think my experiences in, in Wales it was difficult to be on the same page as your coach. You didn't quite know where you sit with them. And and I was kind of, I'm not the type of person to go and ask for more detail in there. I'm not the type of person to push and push and push until I get a full picture of the, what, what someone wants from me. Mm. I'll kind of just sometimes just muddle along and think I'm doing the right thing. Um, whereas Rob kind of makes it clear, you know, he makes it very clear of what, what he wanted from you as an individual, as a person around the place and, and as a rugby player. And I think, um, a large part of that interview, which I suppose that was, is finding out about me as a person. Um, so I think that that probably helped. I think maybe Rob saw me fairly down to earth, normal guy. Um, who maybe enjoys a bit of on on the field rugby and enjoys a bit of social side off off it as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen I've seen well what he said about you when you retired, and uh, and he talked about you being a um, yeah a, a great a great great person to work with from the point of view of being a professional sports person, but also that influence in the dressing room and around the squad, mm. um, and and you know being a a big part of the team as a, as a personality and as a character. So there must've been something that he saw in you to uh... Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, it, rugby, rugby groups and rugby people, you're not going to get, you know, far extremes too much. Everyone's going to kind of be a similar, not, not a similar, um, type of person, but they want the same things. They act in similar ways. And, Rob just wanted people who work hard and um, can just muck in and don't want to be, I don't know, the the prima donna of the of the side and and kind of the big I am. And that that was that was me really. You know, yeah. there's a lot of us over the years who kind of have come in and and fill the role and never really, you know, we'd like to think we overachieved, but. We were never world-beating individuals, but we, we could we could put a gel together and work well as a as a as a collective. And I think that was, especially in those early years, that was such a strength and probably a super strength as a side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we fed off that. Often makes me. Um, <clears throat> it's a thought I've often had. When you're in a team, um, and you're in a squad, so there's maybe two, three people who could play per position. Mm. There's that always that element of competition. Um, how, how did how did that work for you at, at the Chiefs and, and and what's it like working in that kind of an environment? It's it's quite stressful. I mean, because you you know you you're a week to week, you're analysed week to week. You get a review week to week. It's not like you kind of get an annual review of your performance. It's week on week, and you know it's coming if you haven't performed well or you haven't trained well. So you know that you're on the end of that, and that's that's probably one of the hardest things to deal with as a as a professional. But the competition side of it is probably almost the easier bit because we wouldn't be anywhere near that level if we didn't have that competitive side to us. So although I was, I, w- I always felt like I would be competitive in the right way. I would try and concentrate on my, my strengths, what I can do um, to be competitive and tr- try and get my name to the top of that list. But um I don't think I ever stopped and said and thought, well, I'm not being competitive enough. And I don't think I ever thought that about many of the guys in the squad because they're just, everyone's just super competitive there. Everyone wants to be the best they can be. Yeah. Um, in certain ways. I mean, you know, I was, I was probably a little bit more laid back about um, training, but then on a match day, I was always wanted to be the best, you know, the best player on the pitch. 
No, never always that way, but yeah. you want to be the best player on the pitch because you want to be the person that shines really and stands yeah. out. Um, and I've always had that from a young age. I always remember being, trying to do something different to whatever everyone else was doing on the rugby pitch, whether that was right or wrong. But then that carries through when you're a bit older, you still want to, you know, you still fall in line with what the squad and what the team needs to do, but you still want to be the best player there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <clears throat> how does that um, translate then? If, you, if, you're, um, if you've got, you're working with a coach who's, who's got a specific role they're looking for you to play, hmm. um, is, is, there, is there like a boundary that you're working within? Because you've got, it's a yeah. spontaneous thing on the field, isn't it? I suppose, because you, you're, you're, you're in a kind of a reactive situation to a degree because yeah. how, how the ball moves from, from player to player in, you know, and all of, all of the different interventions that can happen. There's possibly millions of different permutations. Yeah. So you're in a live scenario, but you've got the tactics, you've got the strategy that you've got to work with. Um, what sort of boundaries... Um, you know, are you, have you got to stay within? And did you ever step over the line and get yourself into trouble? Yeah, I mean, players would would always step over the line and and try something different and do something out of the ordinary because that's just, like you say, it's spontaneous. It's sport, isn't it? And but it's 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 the trust really. You want to build that trust with a coach and know that you know, right? I'm doing the right things the majority of the time, and I'm I'm trying my best to do the right things for the team the majority of the time. And then I will get that second opportunity if I have that bad game, if I do that stupid chip and chase when it's never on, and they intercept and go the length. I I'd like to think that my players and my coaches understand that I would learn from that, and I would wouldn't you know, especially the next time I take that pitch, I'm not going to do that. We'll make that mistake twice. And I think um that's something that maybe I was I was ben- I was probably on both sides of that really. I benefited from having secondary chances when perform performances weren't there. But then I've also been on the other end of it where you cannot, you know, you find it really hard to break into the side. And and I would I would always joke that, especially in kind of early 2010s. I would finish the season a starter, but then I would start the next season on the bench or or, or worse mm-hmm. because, I don't know, I think there was always maybe a thought that um, Phil was just like, you know, happy to be a type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But then I would always work my way back to try and start by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I think, I think rugby for me at the moment is, is, it's kind of breaking out of that boundary. So when you go back to the boundaries of playing within a structure, I think rugby starting to get away from that. I think certainly towards the end of my playing career, it was very structured. Rugby became kind of, I look back at the Lions tour in COVID when they went to South Africa and it was probably some of the worst rugby I've ever watched Yeah, because it was just a kick battle and structured. No one wanted to give an inch. No one wanted to take any risk. But I think that certainly at the, so at premiership level and European level now, people are prepared to take risks again. And that's, I like that type of rugby. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you've still got to stay within what the coaches want you to do because otherwise you, you just, you're not going to play. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, and you're right. I think when you look at how, how rugby's evolved over the, well, over the, the decade that you were, well, 11 years, I think you were, you were a chief player. Um, and the way professionalism pulled the game through. And there was almost a direct correlation between that development and the reduction in 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 the time the ball was live in the game almost mm. it seemed to yeah. it seemed to seem to almost break break the pattern of play i mean it, what, what was behind that do you think it's risk reward isn't it i think just the 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 thing i see happening with rugby is, is what i i really dislike about football is every decision in football is so important mm. because there's so much riding on every game and it kind of it affects the way the game is played. If you watch a premiership game and you watch a, a non-league game, they're played in a different way because there's less riding on every decision. I think you'll start to see that in, I, I certainly starting to see that in rugby now. And, um, you know, where a, a yellow card or a red card is a, is a game changing decision at the moment. Yeah. Um, and you, and I'm almost, I don't think I'm seeing it, but I'm almost kidding myself to think I'm seeing people 
ask for yellow and red cards now in rugby, which right. is a football trait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it should never be in the game. Yeah. So I think that development of so where we've professional rugby's brought us to a point and it's developed the game so much that risk reward is starting to become a massive factor in outcomes of games, outcomes of seasons, outcomes of people's jobs and mm. the contracts and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a scary thing because professionalism can take it to a point where rugby can become a bit of a bit of a I don't know not the most entertaining game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because yeah, and if, and if the stakes are too high, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. People will start to kind of go within themselves a little bit, and I think I, I, I'm glad to see the way it, rugby's being played at the moment. I think it's 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 going against what I'm trying to say, if you yeah, know what I mean, which right. is good. No, I totally agree with you. I think there, there were a couple of examples in the um, in the Six Nations where you've got yeah, you, the, you can see you can see the captain or even you know whoever leads the front or the backs you know with his hand over his mouth having a yeah. quiet a quiet word with the with the referee to just check something i mean the good thing about rugby compared to football is rugby seems to get the kind of the video uh the video referee interventions yeah. a, a bit yeah. better than than football seems to have got I at the moment so. uh, but um but you're right you never used to you never used to see see that no i mean if someone hit you high or hit you hard they would pick you up off the floor or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be rolling around on the floor. No, no, exactly. Um, but again, I'm out of the game. I'm two years out of the game, so mm, mm. I don't know. Um, are we seeing more people being hit in the head and therefore staying on the ground longer? I don't know, but... And there is that pressure, isn't there? Because, you know, there are these now quite high-profile high situations where you've got former... Uh, rugby players who've, yeah. who've now you know got the sort of the the, the brain damage and, and and that kind of thing mm. and um and there's going to be a, a, a probably a, a a greater concern about that um I suppose it's good that we're looking after our athletes and you would expect us to look yeah. after athletes but because at the same time with that professionalism the the physicality has just just gone it through the roof up, yeah. massively oh certainly i mean when did i my first game i think was 2006 7 i think in first professional game and the physicality then was you know you you'd see probably two or three big hits a game mm real big hits and now that's almost every other tackle at the moment and, yeah um yeah I, it's a difficult one i think i i don't quite know what to think about um head injuries in rugby i think um i would still encourage my girls to go and play rugby certainly would go and encourage them to play that until that until i know that this game is unsafe yeah you know because i still feel it's safe I think that what has happened is we've almost missed that crucial bit of time between it going, becoming professional, becoming ultra professional and things becoming out of hand in terms of contact and techniques and stuff like that. Yeah. But now we're seeing, seeing the other side of that where we're kind of right. We need to rein things in. We need to adjust things and yeah. make adjustments, make the game safer, which is what, you know, what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just let it free wheel. And yeah. It's good to see that there's you know some proactive steps being made. Um, obviously, the RFU kind of made a few different suggestions on the lower in the lower side of the game, and and that's understandable when um, concussions and and so HIA um, kind of on-field assessments can't be used. Mm. It's a difficult area because you know we want to make the game safe from top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. But the game at the top is a lot different to the game at the bottom, so it's, yeah. it's, it's a difficult one. Absolutely, and and yeah, and you you are, you are bang on what you say because some of the games I've watched recently, um, they've been open, flowing rugby. Hmm. When there's been a situation um, like that, um, it's been dealt with, and you d you don't always agree with every decision that gets made. You know, from yeah. the point of view of is it a yellow card, is it a red card, hmm. but. But a decision gets made, yeah, and that is part of that is part of the game. So, um, so yeah. yeah. So I think I think generally speaking, I think yeah, rugby's going the right way. But you're also involved in um, 
Sidmouth. Sidmouth. Yeah. So really you're involved in grassroots yeah. rugby. So how's it how's it flowing through now from sort of the grassroots through to through to the the elite level? Um I mean it's difficult because I didn't kind of I didn't get a massive experience of grassroots all the way through at the same time. Although I've coached I have coached at at grassroots level really for, for the majority of my time in Exeter, but I can't say that there's been a huge amount of change in behaviour, but it's it's certainly on on certainly on on my mind as a coach of what I will coach the players and how safely we want to use that training time. Mm. Do we want to be doing bone on bone contact all the time? No, that is not. That's never been part of my. That's never been part of my playing career or my coaching career. So, yeah. um, you know. That's probably a, a big part of it. Is is the training sessions? Um, I think there's a there's a change of behaviour on the pitch. Whether or not it's where it needs to be is a, is a difficult thing to do because that's you know you're relying on a lot of coaches who are volunteers at the end of the day yeah. across across the country to implement safe practice mm. and. You know the the interpretation of safe practice from one to another is massive, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. I certainly, I I certainly do think the players are now a bit more aware at Sidmouth level and and around that that standard of the tackle height. Yeah. Um, and will and and have made adjustments on the pitch and and you know certainly don't see people running around clotheslining and yeah. Which is was common practice back in yeah, yeah. you know when we were playing in university in South Wales. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. People were running around trying to take your head off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my dad was a um, was a was a played play, played a bit of rugby and was a rugby referee for a bit, and uh, we still have the same conversations when we go and watch rugby uh, together uh, every every now and then. So what was that for? Well, you know, never not always one hundred percent sure when when the referee makes a decision, but yeah. um, it's great actually having a having a dad who who was. Um, who was a referee because I got the values of the game, if you like, from that from that yeah. perspective. It's kind of well, you know, that that's that's the decision, and that's what you go with, and you respect the referee. Yeah. You, there's a lot of respect in in the game. Yeah. So um, that as as long as that's being maintained in from a grassroots level, then then I guess that's fundamental, really, to yeah. a, a healthy game in the future. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's. It relies on a lot, doesn't it? At grassroots, you rely on a lot of people to do a lot of work behind the scenes to keep, to maintain the rugby. Yeah. Um, I think I I from the my experience, I think it is played in the right spirit. I certainly focus on when when we play a game, we are not focused on the opposition. We're not focused on the referee. None of our f none of our energy should be negatively focused towards them it mm. should be focused inward to the group and what we can do how can we be better yeah. um and and try and block out okay that's a bad decision you're going to get bad decisions these guys have uh, a single referee on a pitch of 30 players yeah. often it covered in mud yeah. you know they're not going to get every decision right right so that needs to be just addressed and moved on from really quickly it mm. doesn't need to be something that grumbles on you start arguing with the referee you start arguing with the opposition having a bit of a scrap or a bit yeah. of a tumble you know tumble around the floor it should be right we're back into the game how can we yeah how can we play this next phase to our best but yeah. that doesn't always happen no 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 well look at anything uh sometimes emotions get in the way don't they yeah. and, uh, and that's that but look, so from a um from from a from a leadership point of view um people talk about the sport, the sport, and how sport then translates into um, other parts of of life from a mm. from a leadership point of view, from a team building point of view. You've made the transition from professional sport to uh, to, to 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 a new life. What's your new life like? <laughs> and, and and what what have you seen? You know, from a transitional perspective that you can take from one to the other. Oh, there's lots. There is lots, and I think. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm in I'm in a sales environment now. So I work for a, a med tech company, um, and we're we're in the orthopedics uh, industry. So it's it's a nice industry. We've got a team, so that's that's nice for me straight away. It's nice to have a team. It's nice to have a group of people that you can rely on and and work with. Um, it's completely different, and it's it's um, no, nothing like what I'm used to. You know, it's chaotic. It's organised all at the same time. It's 
individual, you know, a lot of it is individual, which is something that's completely alien to me and it's all off your own back. So I've gone from an environment where it's all team. It's all, what can we do together? Um, here's what you're going to do. This is what time you turn up to on you go, um, make something of this. So that's been probably the biggest adjustment for me over, over two years now being in, um, in this environment. Um, it's been a steep learning curve, but I think I've kind of, I, I mean, when I started the job, everyone in the industry or in the company would say, you know, give yourself 18 months and then you'll start to feel like you can, you've come out the other side of it. And mm. I, I do feel like that now. Mm. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the, the challenge of it. I enjoy the challenge of trying to be better at it because I know that I'm not great at every part of the, of the job, but mm. I, hopefully that, like my traits will make me push on and, and get better and become maybe as good as I can be in this role. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting you say about um, the structure. So I guess in there's there's a quite a structured routine in sport. Is that what you're mm. saying? But but it's less structured in, yeah. in the in the professional world. Okay, that's interesting. You know, whereas yeah, massively so, and just in in my job day to day that can change, you know, and, and to the frustration of Laura and, and yeah. the family, you yeah. know, I can, you know, I'll probably be home by three, four o'clock as, you know, I'm field-based. So my office is my house. Mm. Um, and that really just, that really happens. You know, rarely <laughs> am I home on the same, on the time that I say I'll be home. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's difficult. That's a difficult thing to adjust to. And rugby, you, you know, you get your weekly schedule or you'd get probably, I can't remember, did they used to give us like a four week schedule mm. and that's it, you know, mm. there's not really, there's some bits around it. You can do, you can arrive earlier and do a little bit. You can stay later and do a little bit more if you'd like to, yeah. maybe sometimes you'd overrun, but that's it. You know, it, it was every other week you'd be away on a Friday night yeah. game on a Saturday yeah. or you'd have a Friday night game every now and then. And that slightly adjusted your schedule, okay. but, Whereas now today, daily day, uh, day to day stuff is, you know, it can throw up anything. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And so from the point of view of, um, I suppose, um, leadership in, in a, in a sporting environment, mm. how much emphasis goes on, on the team, how much goes on the task and how much goes on the individual? Um, I would say, you know, one of the things that stuck with me from what Rob and Ali would, would talk about is being the best individual will auto, well, not automatically, but that will go a long way to making the team a lot better. So just focus on your individual strengths and lead with that. And that brings a, brings a team further along, brings, might bring us closer together but also bring the performance up. So I think that was, it was them setting the direction as an individual, you follow that direction as hard and as, as well as you can. If everyone buys into that, then you've got a pretty successful team. Yeah. So it's not, you, you wouldn't look at it as right. We all need to be doing this in this way. It was, you need to be doing this in this way, your way as well as you can be. If everyone else does that across the board, because we've got players to do certain things yeah. across the board, if they do that to their best ability, then the team is moving forward. Um, so that is a little bit difficult for me because I think my strengths in rugby were working with others right. in the team and okay. bringing people together and creating space and kind of being a bit of a link. Mm -hmm. Um and I think it probably took me a while to realize what my strengths were mm. in rugby. I yeah. kind of, uh, you know, master of none, jack of all kind of rugby player. Hence yeah. why I played every position in the back line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think in, in transitioning, I think that was probably something I wanted to try and bring in. And, and hopefully now I'm feeling a little bit more secure and a bit more confident in what I'm doing. I can start to do that a little bit more and lead a bit more and be like, right, this is what I'm actually quite good at in this role. Yeah. I'm going to take a bit of leadership on that and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and add to 
the people around me if they need to I'll bring them with me yeah yeah and it's interesting what you say about playing to strengths because quite often in or in, in in a business context um quite a lot of the focus can go on to the weaknesses yeah. or where things aren't working well but but strengths as an emphasis I mean, there is a school of thought that says basically you should focus on that pretty well exclusively to get mm. the best out of people. I think when, so when I had my interview, part of that interview was a Gallup test. So getting your top five strengths and, and they're big, mm. big on your strengths, focus on your strengths. Um, and I, yeah, I, you know, I, I enjoy that. Mm. It's just, it's, it's hard for me and it probably is it's almost a little bit, bit mirrored. It's taken me a while to kind of really focus in on what are my strengths, what do I do well day to day? Mm. How can I really make that? How can I get better by doing that better? And, um, yeah, it's, I still feel like I'm very rookie. Right, <laughs> so, okay. Every day's a school day. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think if, in, in, if people who know me will know, if I'm not 100% confident about things, I will not take the lead on it mm. so i will kind of sit back and let others lead on that, those types of things until i'm confident so on the rugby pitch the end of my career i was i would I'd like to think i was probably one of the loudest on there I was m very confident at speaking and it's when you when you've come in towards the end of your career and you see young guys coming up and through they don't they're not necessarily going to speak because of that confidence and i think that's huge thing is is for me now moving forward is Getting the confidence of, right, I'm a respected person in this team. I, I've, I've earned my, I've done my time. I've earned my kind of respect. Mm. I'm a valued person in this team. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, you know, which is huge in sport, but still, it's still big in, 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 in the, the business eyes here. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, again, a bit of a comparison between the sporting world and the business world. Uh, in in professional sport, you've got a coach or mm. team manager or director of or whatever it is. Yeah. Probably a mix of it. You've, got, you've got that coach role and you've got that kind of captain role. Um, and in and in business, I guess you've got the um, you might have the, the the senior guy or the director or whatever, mm. and then you've got the you've got the, the team the team manager. Um, did, how, how does the correlation work? Or is there any contrast or difference in how those roles are played in those different environments? I think I, um, certainly towards, you know, certainly in the more successful years, we had leaders within leaders groups, basically. So Rob, I don't know if he kind of picked this up from, from business talks or from meeting people in business, but they had a leadership group across the board, which included leaders from forwards, backs, young, old, quiet, you know, loud. And that, that had a good spread of leadership in it that would then be used as a kind of go between, between, between Robin and the coaches and the team. And that was a good filter. Mm. I think that worked really well. Mm. Um, initially it would have been Rob, and Tommy Hayes, you know, Tommy Hayes was the captain. A lot of it came through Tommy. A lot of, he shouldered a lot of that responsibility. And then Rob shouldered the responsibility on top of that. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, you, you, you do see it more towards that latter stages of Exeter, that, that setup where we had leaders within leadership groups. Then you had leaders within subgroups and units and backs, forwards, scrum offs, outside offs outside backs front row back row kind of so you had you had that sprinkling of leaders throughout and i think that you know when you whenever you listen or or read anything about successful teams they always had leaders across the board didn't they and i think that's where we're really lucky very lucky that you know they grew leadership from within so the likes of cow and and henry slade who kind of come through as youngsters but quickly stepped into those leadership roles alongside experienced guys and it 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 kind of you had those strength points all the way through and I think in the business world yeah that's what you know we see that now so there's senior leaders within certain parts of our business there's obviously our our manager that looks after our team here then you'll have a UK management and um 
it's it's just a little bit obviously you're with each other every day in rugby so mm. you, it's a little bit more visible it's a little bit more accessible it feels that way mm. in business it feels less accessible for me so yeah. for me to approach my manager or for me to approach my manager's manager is kind of a bit of a big deal for me yeah, when yeah. maybe it shouldn't be yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it because um what you've what you've described is you've described um almost cultural advocates mm. so that those kind of le leadership roles within teams whether they're yeah. formally appointed roles or they're or, or or people have got the permission to step up into being a leader from the team or whatever yeah um and yeah and you know successful businesses uh, that i've been involved in have definitely had that kind of uh, that kind of culture where you know leadership is something that's been encouraged and um and people have been um we talked about boundaries and kind of mm. you know showboating maybe and making a mistake and, and all that people have been um you know applauded for having a go and and, and but but again within a context so you yeah. don't take too much of a risk yeah um and um and that that cultural piece is is um is 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 really really important i think in successful organizations yeah i think and uh, we've been so we had a big kind of european meeting in in march uh end of it february march and a lot of that was about about culture and that's it's a really it's a really funny one for me thinking of culture in a business environment compared to a compared to a sports environment because a lot of it in a sports environment is just naturally grows mm mainly probably because you're you're on top of each other all the time and you need that culture needs to be there otherwise it's going to be a poisonous environment so in in the business environment i feel like it's a bit of a harder i feel like it's a harder um task to to really get the culture right um i think the company are really striving to improve that culture and they're going through some great steps of improving that culture but at the end of the day we are individuals who are satellited around different areas it's hard for me to have um a cult you know a sharing of culture with someone who lives in scotland who mm. i see maybe once a year and have a short conversation with yeah yeah but we're talking about that whole culture as a as a as a uk um department as a uk division yeah um and my mindset is still probably in 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 the rugby culture type thing where it's really tight knit you know that's your team you're all together you're with each other all the time uh, and i need to kind of switch my mindset i think to a different way of thinking of culture mm. um yeah well i mean cult culture how culture manifests itself a little bit is in is in behaviors yeah. i've had a little look on on the on the the website um, and uh, the striker website yeah. and uh, really, really strong on values, yeah. really, really strong on, on people and people development and all that kind of stuff. So it looks like there's a, there's a really good, a really good platform for a, a good culture there. And obviously, you know, we're not really here to talk about that, that striker yeah. specifically, um, but it's about how you take those, um, those 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 behavior those those values and how they translate into behaviors and how you treat each other mm. and so whether there's that you know close proximity or frequency of contact or whatever it might be when you're presenting to uh to your to your market your customer base and collaborating with each other to deliver great service to customers that's where that those yeah. behaviors and those threads really come through mm. and um it's interesting when you talk about sport it kind of it kind of just it sort of just kind of happens. I mean, maybe at the Chiefs it did, but there must have been some kind of um... thinking behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I d there definitely was. And as a, as a as a team or as a player or an individual in that, I didn't feel like it was thought about really, yeah. which is probably the the best thing about it is right. you didn't realise that there was effort put into the culture. Um, but again, I go back to the 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 person type you know rugby players are a certain type of person the majority of us want to work hard and enjoy working hard mm. and that brings you you know so tight and so close together but certainly in that in the early years of exeter the culture was 
you worked hard for each other. You're going to be someone who, you're going to be a team that worked harder than any other team. And that just brought us really tight together. And everyone who, who then came into that environment from outside bought into it straight away. So that is initially I thought, well, you know, that's just our culture and we do it, but that's Rob, Ali and the coaches were right. We're picking this person because they fit into this culture. They will add to this culture. They will drive the culture and they'll drive that hard work and that enjoyment off the pitch, mm. that type of thing. Um, it, ju- it just doesn't happen naturally. Does it all of it? Mm. We, I think naturally you, I, I think rugby environments create a certain amount of culture and togetherness. Yeah. But not to the extent of which, where we got it, I think our culture was spot on for a lot of years. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, only a few times did Rob have to say, you know, if, if the culture is getting too much on one way and not the other, then we'll, we'll have to rein you in a bit. Mm. But um, we had, we had a great balance all the way through and people enjoyed being in that club every day. Yeah. So yeah. the culture was obviously on, on the right side of it. Um, you know, as, 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 which is, it must be a difficult thing when you've got 50 men, <laughs> you know, in a change room yeah. day to day. Yeah. Um, there's bound to be, be a few bumps. And I think, yeah, you know, we're very lucky. We were very lucky to be, be part of that. Mm. So, um, what was the uh, what was what's the most alarming thing that you witnessed then at Exeter Chiefs while you were there? <laughs> Oof, not a lot of. There's a lot. Uh, I can't obviously <laughs> say too much. Um, you know, we 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 had a lot of social team socials and rugby team socials are probably quite notorious. Yeah. Just probably the most alarming thing is the amount of alcohol to be drunk, really, because <laughs> you know there's a lot of people there, a lot of men and everyone kind of wants to get one upmanship when you're, when you're on those types of environments, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've kind of been on the wrong end of a few bad hangovers from those types of things. So, um, yeah, yeah, those team socials and a lot of them would be in and around the club would stick together. Mm. And I know they, they still do that now. And I know it's an inclusive social environment there now as well. So you get the, the ladies teams and the women's team involved and the, coaches are involved and the backroom staff get involved in the social side of it. And yeah. that was something that was really great to begin with is we had the families involved in a lot of our social stuff. And, mm. um, yeah, yeah, there's some dodgy happenings there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I won't push you on that, uh, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think, um, it is. It's an important part. I mean, for, for me, in, in a, in a, I've never been a professional sports person, but uh, in, in a kind of a business context, that social side of things is mm. is, a, is a key part of, of building a team. It's just about making sure that it's done at the right time, um, and, um, and and there's a level of responsibility there. Um, and um, you know, actually, when 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 you when you're relaxed and you're um, I mean, I work, so I do sort of strategy days and that kind of stuff and I take, take, take the team away mm. um, we'll, have, we'll have an overnight stay and, um, and we'll, we'll relax together. And that, that, yeah. that, there might not be that many opportunities to do that, you know? So you've got to make the most of those opportunities. Yeah. And yeah, cause the, the, you know, in business now, the day-to-day stuff is you just get in the, the middle of it you, know? mm. you just get through it and you get day to day, next day, next day, do the, do the work mm. without stopping and thinking about, right, why am I, why am I doing this? Am I doing this in the right way? Yeah. Am I doing it how I should be doing it? And I think rugby is no different to that because you go week to week, match to match, yeah. you perform, you analyze, you review and you start again. Mm. Um, I think, uh, you know, the be- probably the best thing that we did as a, as a group or well, the biggest change that we had as a group was when, when we got together at the start of every preseason, we would go away somewhere so that Rob, Rob and Tony would sort a trip to somewhere in South of Spain, usually, or Portugal for warm weather training. Mm-hmm. Although there wasn't a lot of training done, but like you say, we relaxed around each other. We sat in the airport, we had a beer together. Yeah. The new arrivals, that was their first opportunity to meet everyone. Mm. They were welcomed into the group and, and everyone kind of shared a beer with them and you, you find out about them. 
understand what type of person they are. Yeah, yeah. By the end of that trip, you might understand that you don't want to spend too much time with them. But then, <laughs> yeah. you know, you found it out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And then you found out if if they if someone is someone that you really respect and want to spend more time with, then mm. you know it's there, and you know it by that end of that three four days. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, cool. And so, um, looking back on your rugby career, then what's the greatest achievement? Greatest achievement is a runner-up for Players Player. I think it was 2015, 16. I think it was that year. Dave Ewers won it, obviously. He was a monster that year. Uh, but I was shortlisted, which for the first time in my exit career, I was shortlisted for Players Player, which is obviously a, a big achievement for me, really. I, was, that was, I know I didn't win it, but... That was big for me, and I thought I was really chuffed and really proud of myself at that point. It wasn't, you know, it doesn't come with anything. It doesn't come with a trophy, but that was up there for me. Amazing, that's brilliant. That surprised that surprised me that you said that. Yeah, Joe. What, what did you what did you what do you think I might have thought you might have said? <laughs> I don't know. Winning something. I don't know. Yeah, it was the, score, the score, scoring. Scoring. That was that was yeah. Scoring in the final was was up there really. It's nice, but that's that's just the the end point of something you've worked at. Mm. So we worked at that set piece move. Mm -hmm. We knew the where the opportunity were, where the opportunities were, and I just did my part of that yeah. that move and scored it. Luckily, mm. um, you know, I, getting called up for Wales was another like that was a big thing. Mm. It didn't quite materialise, but that was a proud moment for me. Yeah, um, but I think. You just can't, you can't beat that feeling of right. M the players I play with appreciate what I do. Yeah. I think, yeah, being shortlisted for that was, a, you know, was a surprise. I was obviously gutted not to get there, but yeah. <laughs> get win it. But yeah, um, yeah, to beat Dave, you had to go some that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And well, and I, I, I suppose I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known about that. I guess that would be a. That'd be a club. That'd be a club thing, I guess. Um, but that 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 says that says a lot about you as a person, I think, and it also says a lot about the culture that you were you yeah. you were in and how how much that meant to you. Yeah, it does. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's. I mean, I, I suppose not all rugby clubs are the same, but I'd like to think that up and down the country, people would would they want the the praise of their teammates? They want to be respected and appreciated by their team that would yeah that sticks with me really mm. i think um and we were playing some really good rugby at that time i think we i think was it the year we won the lv cup or was it the year after that so we we're playing some really good rugby we we're still kind of underdogs mm. we still had that tag on us and we just still enjoyed ourselves had a real good time of it because you had four years in a row in the final didn't you of the premiership yeah that was what? Yeah. Was that seven? 16, 17, 17, 18, was it? Yeah. So I only played in two of those. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, maybe we could have had a couple more mm -hmm. medals if uh, if things had gone differently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, as you know, I'm a Bristol fan. <laughs> so um, Someone's got to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I moved to Devon in 2008. So okay. I moved to Devon a year before you did. And uh, and so I went to watch the uh, the the both both legs the final, of, the, yeah. of the of the final when um, when Exeter got promoted and, and Bristol didn't. So I saw that from the other side of the fence. Oh no! Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, here we are, sat together, all yeah. is forgiven. <laughs> all that sort of. You thing. haven't hit me too many times under the no, table. No, yet. <laughs> no, 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 because because I've been because I've been a Bristol fan since I was must have been oh, about six years old. So ah, right. So yeah, so, so you've seen uh, some good years of Bristol rugby then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you know the whole thing about about the game and 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 the way that it's evolved and the spirit that it's played. I think I think it's a it's a fantastic it's a fantastic game and and um and 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 what you see in the character of 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 the players. I know that it's got this reputation for because it's all it's all men and the drinking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But what you see actually from the point of view of the, the teamwork, the camaraderie, um and actually the respect um between 
teams that can be quite competitive yeah. on the field, but then after the game, that that respect is there. Yeah. I think it's just brilliant. I, yeah, I can't remember the last time, you know, you played a game and and you didn't have a bite to eat and a beer with with the opposition after. It's just part of the part and parcel of the game. Mm. Respect is a massive part of it. You know, rugby for me just teaches all the best things about. Um, society that you should you know should carry through with you mm. you can't say that about every sport really yeah. he's kind of a, a leading light there yeah I agree I agree so what so what is the biggest lesson that you've learned then in your in your professional career, sporting career that you've taken into your your life after rugby it's not it's not Excel spreadsheets for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yeah. not that. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's it's probably taking the rough of the smooth really, I think is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, not getting on a roller coaster, not celebrating too much when you've done well, not getting too down when things aren't going your way. Mm. You know, I, it, it has been stressful. It's a, it's a big transition and it has been stressful. I've probably stressed out more than I should have at times. Um, and probably haven't celebrated as much as I should have when I've done well. So I think, that is one of the biggest things and you know certainly from my playing career and as a as a team we were always encouraged not to not to get too far ahead of yourselves until you've picked up that medal at the end of the yeah. season then you really then you really celebrate it yeah 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 no that's interesting because because yeah because if you're playing a playing in a team and you're working towards a title or mm. or, or and, and it's over a longer period of time whereas there is quite a lot of celebration, though, in actually in the game as well, yeah. isn't there? And I suppose maybe that's a that's a better thing to think of, you know, because if you if you think if you look at um, you know rugby teams, you know, celebrating, um, you know, yeah. coming out with a ball from a from a ruck or a mall or whatever it yeah, might be, turnover, and yeah. and a turn, yeah, turnover, and um, and yeah, and it, when you pick up a penalty, because because you put pressure on the on the yeah. opposition, they're all kind of seemingly small things aren't they but actually yeah. they're, they're they're big they're big things in the context of the game yeah it's very very similar in a, in, a, in a business context you know those kind of making a making a good call having a good call getting a good quality lead qualifying it well mm. uh, built starting to build a good business relationship with somebody that could turn into a client um and if you've got a product that can or a service that can solve a problem for mm. that potential customer i mean there they are things to be celebrated yeah, they are they are and yeah it's just celebrate them in a slightly different way <laughs> yeah definitely yeah yeah you don't you don't go up to your colleague and smack him on the ass no, to don't. say well done no. very frowned upon yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly we're not quite there yet in the business world well brilliant phil it's been amazing to talk to you i mean this this podcast is called people with purpose so um, I'm always keen to understand um, how uh, you know, and what, what advice you would give to somebody who is looking to find their passion or purpose in life um, and, and, you know, how to, how to go after it. Um, well, I mean, I can kind of only speak from my experience. I think uh, I, I would think that you, you've kind of, oh, I don't know, this is probably a bit, a bit, um, out there but don't look too hard you know you, you, things that you enjoy doing are usually things that you you're involved with on a daily daily basis and I think sport is something I would have always attracted to I would always have picked up a golf ball cricket ball rugby ball whether if it wasn't rugby it would have been something else to whatever standard so I think if I hadn't gone down the professional route I would have been some sort of coach of some sport somewhere. So, you know, kind of magnetize the things you enjoy. So think about what you enjoy and go for that. Mm. Yeah. And there's a lot in that. Give it a go. Yeah. See where it happens. See where, see where it takes you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because you've talked quite a lot about luck yeah. uh, in, in this in this conversation. And um and and there's there's a balance between uh, luck um, and also a willingness to perhaps take a bit of a risk mm. and take a bit of a punt. So if you think about, you know, 
your your career you know you, you, you said a few times you got lucky with your um your shoe reel ending up on rob yeah. baxter's desk you got lucky making the move down there you got lucky breaks in the game even your try in the premiership final you said you know you got over the line luckily it was a set piece so so um i would applaud you for for <laughs> for, for, for taking those decisions to put yourself in those positions for that for that luck to come about because um there's definitely a lot of luck but if you don't put yourself out there and take the risk the lucky break's not going to come your way yeah very true thanks for coming on phil been great to talk to you cheers dave thanks sir thanks for listening to people with purpose i hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review uh, tell all your friends And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.